Simon and Robin are a well-off couple who have just moved back to the city where Simon went to high school. A chance encounter with an old acquaintance named Gordon Mosley leads to the possible rekindling of an old friendship. But there's something up with Gordo and his intentions. And Simon is harboring a dark secret regarding his part in ruining Gordo's life years ago. A fresh take on the stalker subgenre and a true subversion in expectations, this is the 2015 thriller The Gift. I'm Connor Zagari, and this is Filmgasm. Happy Wednesday, happy Thanksgiving, and welcome to episode 112, a very special episode of the Filmgasm podcast. I'd like to welcome the newest member of the Filmgasm team to her very first episode. Welcome to the show, Julie Cervantes. It's a pleasure to have you aboard. Hi, everybody. Nice to meet you all. I'm happy to be here, and happy Thanksgiving. Um, before we get started, Julie, why don't you tell the audience a bit of your movie fan background and why you decided to join this team? I mainly decided to join because I'm really interested in trying new things. I've never joined a podcast before. I've never been invited to one or known anybody that started one before. So um, it's just really an ex exciting new chapter for me in my life, um, especially with um, everything like being so mellow with the COVID stuff and quarantine and being inside. I, um, I In my spare time, I like to like pursue my artistic career but on the side I have a huge interest for movies and it developed later on when I was um, going into high school and college but before that I wasn't really into watching movies all that much just because of my um, my family life and my family wasn't really big into movies either so it's like the only family that was interested in it were my brothers and I, I had four brothers. Um, I lived with three of them. And one of them was really interested in watching thrillers. And, and he particularly liked Alien vs. Predator. And he showed me that movie when I was young. And I was really shocked. I was like, <laughs> what the hell am I watching right now? This is creepy. But then I, I started to really enjoy it. And Ever since then, I started being becoming like interested in science fiction and those kinds of things. So yeah, killer! You've come to the right place. Uh, we've done so far on the podcast. We've done the first two Alien movies. Uh, we have not done Alien versus Predator yet. That's still in the book. Uh, <laughs> I remember seeing that movie at the movies uh, when I was like what two thousand four. So I was nine, and. Uh, <laughs> My mom and dad took me and I had never seen Alien. I'd never seen Predator. So I didn't really know what to expect. And I was like, this is awesome. And <laughs> I wanted to be Predator for Halloween, but my mom wouldn't let me do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my mom would probably say something like, that's evil. If there's blood in it, it's evil. Like she was very strict. And even when my brother would play Halo, like Halo being like probably one of the least violent games ever, she would uh, get really mad at him for playing Halo because she thought it was very violent. <laughs> but, um, and then today it's like really funny because me and my brother, like the other night we're playing evil, the evil within. <laughs> so things have definitely changed for us. 
it's interesting because I come from a like almost the exact opposite world. Like my family loves movies. We're all like everyone in my family is a huge movie geek. I like to say I'm third generation movie geek. And uh, my mom was showing me horror movies when I was like way too young to be watching horror movies. Nice. Yeah. It was, I don't regret it. I mean, yeah, there were some nightmares, but I mean, I could have left anytime I wanted to. (laughs) (laughs) Like The Thing, for instance, I watched that when I was very young with my mom and dad who hadn't seen it in like 30 years. So they were, they didn't really know what to expect. But the second, have you seen The Thing? No, I haven't. (laughs) Oh, that's a a classic. It's one of the freakiest movies ever made. But there's a scene where this creature like opens up and like reveals what it really is. And it's like just freakish. And I saw most of the movie through my mom's hand after that. (laughs) She didn't want me seeing all that. She didn't turn off the movie or tell me to leave. She just put her hand over my head and was like, you shouldn't watch this. And I'm like, well, I am. (laughs) And now it's like nothing to you now to watch movies like that. It's really, it's, it's weird and it's, it's kind of sucks, but yes, I'm, I've become so desensitized to horror movies that it's incredibly difficult to scare me. I watched one last night that I actually like, I fell asleep watching it. Like it was so, I was so bored by it. I was, and it was a ghost movie and things were popping out and I was like, just nodding off most of the time. It was called Winchester. It was terrible. (laughs) Yeah. um, The other day uh, before Halloween, um, I was trying to watch Children of the Corn because it was Stephen King and I, I fell asleep really fast, (laughs) but in, yeah, I'm going to try to rewatch that one though. Children. I I personally thought Children of the Corn sucked, but (laughs) I liked the story, but I thought the movie was, well, corny <laughs> but um Whoa. yeah welcome to the team i think you're gonna fit right in here we're all pretty goofy about this stuff and we're all looking for the next big scare and like really good cool movies and uh yeah let's uh let's talk about one so there's no rewind today so let's jump right in we did uh decide to draw from the book the book of filmgasm for today's episode because julie wanted to do this right and we ended up with the gift and this was your first time with this movie, I believe? Uh, yes. And first time watching Jason Bateman and Joel Edgerton as well. I have no exposure to those actors. So this was my first movie for both of them. Wow. Hell of a first run for Jason Bateman. He's mostly known for comedies. So this is an interesting way to get like right in his career. That's cool. So uh, right off the bat, what, were your, what are your initial thoughts and feelings about this movie? Um, so I was really interested in it. I didn't get sleepy or anything. Um, so I was, I thought that I could predict what would happen because it's a creep movie. And so I've seen creep the the movie before. And so that is actually like very different from this one. (laughs) Um, so when I saw this one, I was like trying to predict what would happen and I was going to say, oh, he's going to kill them or like blah, blah, blah. He's going to do something really crazy. But it went in the direction that I didn't think it would. And I really liked that because um, I was I was like kind of confused and like conflicted. I was like, what do I make of this? I'm not used to this. <laughs> it is. A, it's weird how this movie does that. You do think this is going to be like creep or single white female 
or so, one of those movies that's all about, you know, crazy person gets into this person's life and just kills everything around them. But this is not that kind of movie. In a weird way, like up until the last like 15 minutes, you're kind of conflicted over who the real bad guy is in this movie. Yes, I like that a lot. And even in the end, you still kind of don't know if he really did it or if he didn't do it. Like, it's it's it really is like, when I saw this at the movies in 2015, I couldn't stop thinking about it. It was one of those movies that just, I kept going through my head, like, did it happen? Like, was he fucking with him? Like, how did this, did this what was that movie? <laughs> yeah, because a lot of films, they'll like easily tell you what they're going to do. They're going to, they would tell you the backgrounds like completely, but this one, it gave hints of, oh, these two guys were in school together, but what happened? And who molested who or who, you know, did who ruined whose like childhood and like, and then at the end, like you just said, I was confused who was the real bad guy. And I felt bad for the supposedly bad guy or, you know, I felt bad for Gordo. Yeah. Until, until that ending. <laughs> and it takes a whole like this big old left turn into morality and who you really start to feel for because the person you know, at first you, you think like wow Jason Bateman's a real prick he never got you know he never changed he's still the bully who's manipulating people's lives for his own gain just because he can and Gordo's mm -hmm. you know this innocent victim who's yeah kind of crazy but yeah you know you kind of get it after the life he's had but yeah. then it's like fuck you can't forgive that <laughs> that's <laughs> that's a nightmare and you just feel for the wife who's trapped in this world that her husband created. It's, it's a nightmare. <laughs> you feel for her, but then she seems happy at the end, so. Well, she doesn't know what happened as far as she's concerned. That's her husband's kid. Yeah. And even he doesn't know. He doesn't, kind of doesn't want to know. I mean, how do you face that realization that this man has destroyed your entire life because of you, because you did something bad to him. Shit comes around. It's yeah. <laughs> I was expecting her to find out too, but they didn't even show that. Like it gives you so much mystery. I love that though. I love that it ends with just a blank slate of like, well, you decide. Like even you know, he's never Gordo's never going to tell her. He's probably mm -hmm. going to just leave and yeah. let Jason Bateman stew in his own mistakes. It's <laughs> I love movies that kind of leave it up to you. Because it, it, it's like I said, I couldn't stop thinking about it when I saw it at the movies because of that, because Joel Edgerton just kind of lets you, you know, he, he gives you two paths and says, you, you know, pick one and both are right. Mm -hmm. So the gift was written and directed by character actor Joel Edgerton, who also played Gordo. Edgerton is an Australian actor known primarily for his roles in The Great Gatsby, Black Mass, It Comes at Night and Warrior. He also wrote and directed the film Boy Erased from 2019. He's one of Hollywood's brightest rising stars, an incredible actor, incredible writer, and a damn good director, I think. Like, he really, he wore three hats for this movie, and he pulled, him, he pulled it off, I think. Have you seen any of his other films besides Warrior? We'll, we'll get to that at the end. That's a special one. But, uh... <laughs> um, his other films were... Great Gatsby, Black Mass, It Comes at Night... Any of those? No, I'm still like a, <laughs> I'm a Gordo virgin. <laughs> I don't know anything about him. 
Well, um, yeah. Yeah, Warrior was really good. He's he's good. Uh Great Gatsby was interesting. It was uh kind of forgettable, honestly. Black Mass, he was really good. And then It Comes at Night. I fucking hated that movie. <laughs> that movie was the marketing for that movie was like this is the scariest movie you'll ever see. And then I saw it and it's basically just a family eating like eating dinner at night for two hours and nothing happens. I was so pissed. Oh, that's so disappointing. <laughs> oh, I don't even remember him, like his performance in it. I was so upset with that movie. I was like, fuck this. And I just wrote that movie off. One day, it is in the book. So one day this podcast will cover It Comes at Night and I'll have to revisit that. Ugh. No. <laughs> um, Jason Bateman plays Simon, the world's biggest asshole. Bateman is a great comedic actor known for his role as Michael Bluth on the sitcom Arrested Development and his role as Marty Bird on Ozark. Some of his major film roles include Dodgeball, Hancock, Horrible Bosses, The Change Up, Identity Thief, Game Night, and Zootopia. He's, uh, he's pretty popular. Jason Bateman's a good actor. He's, he can do comedy, he can do drama, and apparently he can do horror too. And uh, yeah, I love the guy. I have a lot of catching up to do, um, but what genre do you think he suits? Like he's most suited for? He's definitely at his best in comedy. But the more he's been doing, he's been doing a lot more drama in the past ten years, and he's really good at that too. But for me, he'll always be Michael Bluth from Arrested Development. That that was the best damn show. That that show was so funny, <laughs> and he had to play the straight man where everyone else is completely friggin' crazy on that show, and it's just him juggling his crazy eccentric, like rule law-breaking rich family <laughs> and it's yeah it's a classic show so that was a big role for him that was his breakout he was um he'd done some stuff as a kid like he was in the sequel to teen wolf <laughs> <laughs> and um, he uh yeah he's become kind of a, a big player in the past 15 20 years i love i love him in dodgeball <laughs> it's, it's such a random like one-off character but it's such a great character he plays one of the sports commentators, like do, commenting on the dodgeball games. And he's just like this crazy, like BMX, like X Games dude who's just in like a visor and like sports gear. And he's so into it. It's nice. fantastic. It's really cool when actors can do all sorts of genres and not just stick to the thing everyone's used to because you get to see different parts of them that you don't normally see. I love that. I love when actors go out of their comfort zone. This is a, it's a big one for Bateman because he's playing just a really unlikable, horrible human being who doesn't care about anybody but himself and what everyone else can do for him. He's the worst person. And it's such mm -hmm. a, you know, he plays a douchebag really well. <laughs> I've seen him do that in a lot of movies. Uh, yeah, Game Night is one I recommend. That was from a couple years ago. That was a really su like surprisingly hilarious movie about this uh, these couples who do like a, a weekly game night. And um, he and his wife are super competitive, like super, super competitive. And their friend organizes this like this detective game for them to play like a big old RPG. And then he gets kidnapped by gangsters for real. <laughs> and Jason Bateman is leading the game, but he still thinks it's a game. So they're trying to find his friend. And it's like over the course of the movie, they start realizing, oh shit, this is real. 
<laughs> and it's, it's really funny. That's a brilliant idea. <laughs> <laughs> it was a good one. It was a good one. Um, Rebecca Hall plays Robin, Simon's unfortunate wife. who just gets kind of stuck in the middle of all this. Some of her notable roles include The Town, Vicky Christina Barcelona, The Prestige, The BFG, Iron Man 3, and Professor Marston and the Wonder Women. And I always get her mixed up with Rebecca Ferguson, who is a different actress. She was the opera singer in The Greatest Showman, and she's been in the last few Mission Impossible movies. But we're not talking about Rebecca Ferguson. We're talking about Rebecca Hall. <laughs> Long time ago, back in the early days of the podcast, I did an episode on The Greatest Showman. These, these don't exist anymore, by the way, guys. So don't go bother looking for them. But um, I did a whole bit talking about Rebecca Ferguson in The Greatest Showman, and I called her Rebecca Hall the entire time. And I, <laughs> I had to delete that whole segment. I had to delete like a good 25 minutes out of the episode. I was so pissed. Yeah, that's like, I don't know. Her name is just more memorable, mem- <laughs> memorable than Ferguson. I think she does a great job playing Robin. I think she's a very, you know, relatable character. I think she's a very well-written character. And uh, I just feel bad for her. Every, you know, she doesn't know who this guy is that she married. And she's trapped. But she does, you know, leave him. And it's... But she's stuck with, you know, who knows who her, you know, who the dad is. It's, it's, it's a, a lot of questions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, um, I was really happy and satisfied that she did that at the end. Um, she, I really liked her performance and like the way, because I felt kind of similar to her. I think I always try to find the good in weirdos. <laughs> And because I'm a weirdo. So like, (laughs) I want to, you know, I feel relatable to her in a way. Well, also because the only two guys, the only two other characters you have to relate to in this movie is a narcissist asshole and a psychopath. (laughs) (laughs) So she's kind of all you've got at the end of this thing. Um, The Gift has an IMDb score of 7.0, Rotten Tomatoes score of 91%, very admirable. It grossed $59 million on a modest budget of $5 million. So this was a pretty decent hit, but I don't hear a lot of people talking about it anymore. It didn't really make any waves in the pop culture community. People saw it and were like, oh, that was good. But then nobody talked about it again. Like this movie just kind of fell off the radar. And um, it is on Netflix now. So I'm hoping maybe more people see this, but uh, it definitely deserves more attention. I think it's a very well put together thriller. Mm -hmm. I think... Um, one of my thoughts afterwards was actually that, like, I think this movie is really enjoyable and it's a good to watch it, but I don't feel like for me personally, I would watch it a lot. I, I just kind of felt like this is a one-time fun ride to go on. And then you just kind of, you keep it in your mind, but like, you don't go back to it, but that that's how I feel about it. I can see that. This is uh, I can see this being a one and done kind of movie for, for some people. Once the, you know, after you already know the twist, it does lose a little bit of punch, I think. But uh, I do think the performances are great. I like the journey. I think the dialogue is great. So I would, I would definitely recommend this to people, but maybe not more than once. I can, yeah, I see your point. Mm -hmm. So let's talk a bit about the movie itself. Uh, First up, I didn't realize that this was a Blumhouse production, which is awesome. 
they're the leading name in horror right now. Uh, they produced the most recent Halloween movie, Lights Out, the Conjuring franchise, I think, maybe. Uh, maybe not. Horror geeks, don't, don't, don't come down on me for that. <laughs> That's just <laughs> off the top of my head. But uh, they're the best. Uh, they're always given the green light to like weird horror scripts. They're giving everything a lot of opportunity. And when they do like reboots, it's like they did the invisible man from this year. And uh, they just care about horror. They don't like interfere that much. They let the, di- the director do what he wants and just kind of make his own vision. And I appreciate that. This film is very much that. I'd like to see more from them because those are pretty good movies that came out. They're the best. Whenever I see them, their logo on a movie, I'm like, this is going to be good. Mm-hmm. Um, so when we first meet these guys, uh, Simon and Robin, they're just kind of an unassuming couple. They're, you know, house shopping. They're moved out here for work. Simon's a successful security sales guy or something. And uh, you like them at first. Like, you know, I like how the movie kind of pushes you in different directions as the movie progresses. Like at first you're like, Oh, these are our heroes. Oh, Simon, you know, knew this guy in high school, but he was weird. But the more you, more you go through the movie, the more you realize who really is at fault here and who really you shouldn't like. It's very interesting. And Jason Bateman was well cast for that. Cause he, he plays smarmy really well, like sarcastic, like asshole. You kind of don't like, he plays mm-hmm. that very well. Yeah, in the beginning, it seems like, you know, regular couple, like they're gonna be the good guys. And I didn't see anything off about Jace or um, I didn't see anything off about Simon or, you know, how he could be potentially a bad guy. So they didn't, they uh, did the beginning very well because I didn't see any hint of that. I, I did. This time around, there's definitely some hints that Simon is an arrogant prick. Like there's, oh, yeah. yeah, like he's, um, when he's talking to people, like he'll, you know, be talking to them and he'll be like, oh, hi, nice to meet you. You're a great person. Then as soon as he walks away from them and talk to his wife, like, did you see how annoying he was? Like little things like that. Like he's so phony, like the, the face he puts on for in like the social community for his work and stuff is not at all who he is. You get that vibe immediately by the way he talks about other people to his wife in private. Oh, do you mean like the first time they see him? That and then like a couple scenes at work. Like he's very much just like everyone sucks but me. (laughs) And it's oh yeah, yeah. It's the worst kind of person. Right. You're definitely right, because he did turn around and be like, Did you see how weird he was? Like, yeah, you're right. First, like first half of that conversation, I didn't even know who that guy was. Things like that. (laughs) Yeah. And in that scene where they first meet Gordo, I didn't know this, but I, I didn't remember this beforehand, but as they're walking into that store, Gordo is in the background staring at them, waiting <laughs> for his moments. <laughs> I love that. I think that's kind of f- funny. They walk right past him. They don't even notice him. It's, it's wild. <laughs> and uh, it's an interesting idea. Like, I mean, I personally, you know, I wasn't a bully in high school. I didn't mistreat people. I wasn't bullied, so I don't know how that other side of that feels. But if you are faced with somebody you mistreated in the past, you know, now, how, like, how do you think you would handle that kind of situation? Like, because Simon does not handle it well. He handles it as like this, you know, it's your fault. You're a weirdo. So fuck off. And that's just not helpful as we see. But um, 
how do you think you would have handled Gordo's like insistence to be a part of your life? Like if I was the bully? Like if you were in Simon Robin's shoes and Gordo shows up and is like, hey, we knew each other. Do you want to have dinner and be best friends all the time? Like uh, would I would it? immediately think that something's up. <laughs> because like most people, depending on how serious the situation is, like with Gordo, it was obviously pretty serious. His life got fucked up. But like if the situation was like like oh you bullied me whatever no big deal like some people can get over that and just move on and be like turn their cheek the other way you know um but so if this guy came to me and my husband or whatever and they knew each other I would immediately think you know why haven't you mentioned this guy before like why is he just randomly popping up into our lives that's very off and weird so can you explain yourself (laughs) Well, and also, they do they do not shut Gordo down soon enough. Like they make they let this drag out a lot, like a long time before they finally say something, and like they let him, you know, bring them presents and he, you know, the, the whole thing with the fish. It gets weird giving constant presents to somebody you barely know that you used to, you know, be an acquaintance of. It's it's a very weird situation, and I do think they waited a little too long to address it. I mean, it wouldn't have mattered because Gordo wouldn't have stopped, but they, I think they should have, you know, brought that up. <laughs> like, hey, tone it down, guy. We barely know you. Yeah, um, Simon, I feel like he was just like, oh, he's going to leave. You know, we're never going to see him ever again or whatever. And then, but then, no, <laughs> he kept coming. And yeah, they definitely should have shut him down and been like, hey, you know, whatever happened in the past, I'm really sorry. You know, I don't, I didn't mean to do all that. If that's why you keep coming here, you know, you know, just get it out of the way. Just talk about it because no one just comes back to you after that, especially if you mistreated them, they're definitely going to do something. So I would just get it out of the way and say, you know, what's up? I'm sorry. And then, yeah, then the movie would have been over, but (laughs) no, we needed this movie. We needed that twist. Well, and the thing is like, we kind of, you know, we're used to traditional storytelling in Hollywood. We're used to, you know, oh, our good guy is good. Our bad guy is bad. Everyone's going to get theirs. We're used to that because that's what most movies are. Yeah. This is our good guy's a dick and our bad guy is crazy. <laughs> and there is going to be no apology because Simon literally is not sorry. He doesn't regret anything. He thinks he was weird and he deserved it. And yeah. anything that happened is on him for reacting that way. And that's fucked up. <laughs> that is dangerously arrogant to have that kind of mindset. Yeah, there are definitely people out there that are like that too. I would not doubt it. Oh, it's frightening. But at the same time, I'm terrified of weirdos like Gordo <laughs> who are like, you know, don't let that go and just think about it all the time to the point where they have planned a very intricate revenge. Like, that's also just as scary, if not scarier. <laughs> yeah. I also like how this movie, like, makes you think about, do you actually know people the way you think you do? Like, are they, are people going to be completely honest with you, even if you're married? You know, it makes you think, like, you need to really understand the person you're with fully, not rush into things, you know? Well, that and, like, people close to you, this is a theme I, I really like with horror movies is you never know 
who's like in your people in your inner circle, you never really know who they are until something like this happens. Like there was a movie we did on the podcast a while back earlier this year called Shallow Grave, which was a great uh, 1994 crime thriller about these, this group of friends who live in an apartment in Scotland. They, you know, they, they're not best friends, but they live together. They get along and they bring in a fourth guy who's just, you know, looking for a place to stay. And then they find him dead in, in his bedroom with a suitcase full of cash. And they may have to make a decision. Like, do we call the police or do we bury this guy deep and split the money? And that's, of course, what they do. But that money changes them and they start becoming spiteful and paranoid and dangerous and they start wanting to kill each other. And it just it's, you know, when faced with an impossible situation, you you don't really know how your friends are going to react. You don't know who they are at the core, like who they are as a human being when faced with a decision like that. And I think the gift is a very similar uh, situation. Mm-hmm. That's very true. Like, wow. <laughs> I like that you told me that. It's a great movie. Shallow Grave, I recommend. I think that's on Prime right now, maybe. It's been a long time. But uh, it's it's creepy. But yeah, I love that kind of idea of, you know, what is my life really? Like, who am I really married to? What did you do? The skeletons in your closet are fucking coming out. It's frightening. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> what is a, do you have a favorite part, like a favorite moment of this movie? Um, let me think. So I think I really enjoyed watching Robin trying to dissect the past. That was really cool. I wasn't expecting her to do that. I was just expecting her to be like, um, trying to figure it out at home instead of like going out and reaching out to other people. Um, and what else? I think I really like how you see them in the house and like the, the setup is like really cool. Like I think one thing that caught my eye is like how pristine and clean and nice the setup is and the windows are so large that makes it even harder for people to have privacy. So I, so like the fact that there was a creep there, it's like, it makes it worse that someone's watching you when your windows are so large and like your house is like so nice. And it's just like, it just shows how wealthy they are and how, yeah, it's kind of expected that someone would be jealous or, you know, he would probably, and that hints a lot at him, like, because remember when he was saying, Simon says this, I got that, I got this. Yeah. Like, Simon says, I'll have a large house or whatever, a beautiful wife. So it was like trying to get the audience to wonder, is he there because he's jealous? You know, is he there because he wants the, the wife, Robin, like he really likes her. And that's not the direction it went. It was like, yeah. So lots of surprises. And yeah, I really like that about the film too. I love how the film like literally encapsulates the metaphor of people who live in glass houses shouldn't throw stones. Like they literally live in a glass house. Yeah. And it yeah, it's it's a very it's very well put together. Um one of my favorite scenes is what the dinner party where they where Gordo invites them to his house to um hang out with another couple 
and then they abruptly cancel and it's just Gordo and them. Mm-hmm. And he, he randomly gives Jason Bateman a copy of Apocalypse Now. And like he does those very creepy helicopter noises. Like I don't know how Joel Edgerton did that, but that creaked me out. I got goosebumps from that. Like that was, that was <laughs> disturbing. I just thought that was funny. <laughs> that freaked me out, especially when he does it later on in the movie. It's ugh, something about that just unnerved me. That's funny how you thought that was weird and how I thought that was funny because I know people like that in real life that that will consistently act weird just to try to freak you out, but you know that they're not that weird. So <laughs> when he made that noise, I thought, oh, okay, he's just weird. Like, but yeah. It's fun. Well, you know, it seems like that. It just proves how subjective all this stuff is. I love I love that. Like we can look at the same thing and take completely different approaches to it. Yeah. <laughs> and in that scene, Gordo says one of my favorite lines after he um he has the phone call and says, you know, I gotta step out. It's a work emergency. And he comes back in and Simon asks him, like, what do you do for work? I don't think I ever asked you. And that's interesting because this is like the fourth time they've met up and they have never asked him anything about himself. Yeah, like he only takes interest whenever he seems to have a good life, which is freaking arrogant. <laughs> yeah. But Gordo then just says, I'm afraid you've caught me in a lie. It's the way he delivers that is so eerie. <laughs> and then you're like, what is he going to say? What is he going to say? Because <laughs> yeah. you never see that in movies where people are just like, well, I was lying to you. <laughs> To just confess that immediately opens a whole new door where you're like, well, what, like, what were you really doing? <laughs> Except in Creep, the other movie, because yeah, he says that. So I'm wondering, has he, has, um, has Joel ever seen Creep? <laughs> That'd be funny if he has. I can see, there's some, maybe some influence. I can see that. Uh, this film has, I think a lot of, uh, I think there's some Hitchcock in here. I sense a lot of, a little bit of Norman Bates in, uh, in Gordo. Definitely, he's you know got a we know he's got a messed up childhood, but we don't really know what this guy is fully capable of. And maybe you know Simon got off easy here. I don't know. Um, <laughs> so let's talk a bit about the the apology scene, where Simon goes to Gordo's like trivia open mic night to give his apology, and it, it turns into Simon kicking Gordo on the ground. That is such an arrogant, like the way he does, you know, like, hey, I'm apologizing to you so my wife can get off my back. So do you accept it? <laughs> what a piece of shit. <laughs> my God. You know, what? Gotta... Hmm? you know, I was going to say, you know what? I think that is my favorite scene out of this movie. And it's because it made me feel so much emotion and anger. And I love when a movie makes me feel that way. I'm like, you did it. like the director did it they made me feel something and that's when you know a movie's good um so yeah this is my favorite scene what's so great that simon goes from hey i'm sorry to fuck you in like less than two minutes (laughs) just because gordo's like it's too late you're like what do you mean too late i'm here aren't i like it's so horrible he's such a bastard (laughs) simon is such a bastard oh but then again in that scene there's another epic line that I love where Gordo tells him you're done with the past, but the past isn't done with you. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) 
I love good lines. Like that's one of my favorite things in movies is to find a really good line that just makes me go like, ooh, <laughs> that's one of them. Yeah, I think that it was really, <laughs> I really liked how he said it's too late because he doesn't deserve to feel that happiness of, you know, getting over what he did to Gordo. And I don't, I don't know if I would like, I like, like you said, you weren't really bullied. I don't think I was bullied to that. I wasn't definitely not bullied to that extent. So I can understand why he wouldn't like forgive him, especially the way he tried to apologize. He was like, I'm sorry. Like (laughs) you can, you can definitely just tell how um, he wasn't sincere at all. And that's what Gordo's, you know, talking about here. I think if Simon had like legit, actually, that's a question I wanted to bring up. So earlier on in the movie, when, uh, Gordo leaves the note for Robin and says, you know, I'm sorry things got out of hand. I never would have done anything to upset you. I came into this with best intentions. Do you think that Gordo really was trying to see if Simon was a better person or if he was going to fuck him from the beginning? Um, I got the vibe that he was going to fuck him from the beginning. Okay. I definitely, I got that vibe because how he seemed... Okay, so this is another thing. So when they went into his house or, you know, his fake house, yeah, and they were exploring the rooms and everything, and they saw the room with the monkeys in it, and he knew, I feel like he knew that Simon didn't like monkeys. Like, is that just me? Because, like, why else would he have monkeys? Because, you know, like, what? <laughs> so I feel like he was planning it all along and he's always had this ha- hatred inside of him of wanting to get back at Simon. Yeah, I think you're right. I think the intricacy of the whole plot, I don't think it was off the, like, I don't think it was off the cuff. I think he had this planned. I think he wanted to see if Simon had changed, but he didn't, he didn't change. Nothing had changed. And uh <laughs> I think you're right. I think this was just, you know, this was full on revenge from the get go. Do you think that he did take the dog? Um, yeah, <laughs> I, cause that's kind of random and I, it kind of goes with the fish thing. And I personally, I don't think that scene was needed. <laughs> um, just cause like they didn't even in the beginning, the Robin and Simon, they didn't really show a huge connection to the dog until he was taken. So I feel like they could have left that out, but I think it, I, I like how they tried to make the creepiness linger more, you know? That might've been a producer decision that said like, Hey, this movie's not scary enough. We need something. Yeah. <laughs> that might, I can see that. Uh, so yeah, the monkeys. So why are monkeys so scary? Good question. Um, (laughs) so Simon has a fear of monkeys. Uh, we find that out. We don't really find out why I would love to know why, because you don't just, you're not just born with a fear of monkeys. That's not like an innate fear, like a fear of heights or something. Something happened to make you afraid of monkeys. There's a story there, but it's kind of interesting because Simon kind of views everybody he knows as monkeys, as like weird little playthings for his amusement, who he can manipulate at will. I think there's something to that. I think he sees Gordo as a dancing monkey. And the guy he screws over for the, like for the job, dancing monkey. 
these people, these are pawns in his great game that only he is playing. And it bites him in the ass. That is so interesting. I never thought of the monkey in that way. Um, <laughs> yeah, that makes total sense now. And I think maybe he's afraid of it because he knows what's coming or like he knew maybe this is going to bite me in the ass. And yeah, I didn't think of the monkey that way. I thought it was just random. <laughs> the All right, with that, let's go to the ending. The um, over-the-top crazy-ass ending of what uh, Gordon's grand plan was. Because I don't think getting Simon fired was part of his job, was part of his plan. Because he had nothing to do with that. That was all Simon's fuck-up. Mm-hmm. But that was just gravy. I mean, can you imagine if you're planning like decades long revenge on somebody and you enact their, your plan, it works. And then on top of it, without your involvement, he gets fired. Yeah. I mean, yeah. That's just icing on the cake. <laughs> it's a dream come true. <laughs> oh God. I want to know what his reaction would have been like to that. <laughs> I love when Gordo calls him and he says like, he says what, what, Simon had said to him earlier, like, don't talk for a while. And then I'll, you know, I'll say what I got to say. And then you can, then you can talk. Like he puts him in his place at the end. It's, yeah. it's pretty thick, but you know, if you, obviously if you haven't seen the movie, I don't know how you got this far into the episode, but well, what happened was <laughs> uh, Gordo drugged Robin broke into their house. Well, entered their house. He had a key. And uh, maybe, we don't really know, might have raped her. And the baby might be, robbed, might be his. And he lets Simon think that that's what happened. And now Simon has no way to prove that that's what happened. But he's always going to be thinking about it. He's always going to wonder, is that my son? The ultimate revenge. <sighs> yeah. Yeah, and he gets away with it. He just leaves the hospital. And I love that last bit where he just takes off the sling and just chucks it. <laughs> yeah, I like how um, he was like, did I do it? I probably did. I probably didn't. We don't know. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be totally honest here. I stole that scene for my first book. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> I kind of, I borrowed it. It was uh, I borrowed it. <laughs> For legal reasons, it's an homage. And um, my main character is in, in, a, in the town jail. The bad guy shows up in town to taunt him because uh, 11 years prior, the bad guy had kidnapped the good guy's daughter. And good guy hasn't known for years if she's alive or dead. And the bad guy goes to him and says, like, I, yeah, I killed her the day, we, the day I took her. She's dead and buried somewhere. Or did I? <laughs> Maybe I didn't. Who knows? <laughs> so I love that scene so much because not knowing is the ultimate torture. Mm-hmm. And Simon will never know. It, do you think he deserved it? What do you think? Oh, I don't think anybody deserves that. Uh, certainly not Robin. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. That's a, all right. What Simon did to Gordo starting a rumor that ruined his life, fucked up his relationship with his parents and just wrecked him mentally versus 
making you think that somebody you hate is the father of your of your child i don't know how to answer that question (laughs) um i'm gonna go with no he didn't deserve it but i think he deserved something i think gordo should have just kicked his ass that would have been enough for me but this is this is stepping into absolute psychopath territory (laughs) and uh i can't i can't endorse that do you think that if he did kick his ass, he would have felt his true, like, I got revenge? Or do you think he, it was probably not right? <laughs> no. no. That, that level of destruction of what Simon caused for Gordo. I mean, we you know looked at his, his file. He got dishonorably discharged from the military for conduct unbecoming. Like, he got mentally destroyed by what happened. It ruined his whole life tra- trajectory. Just kicking the guy's ass would never have been like giving him that cathartic release. He needed to destroy Simon's life on every level. And he did it. And uh, in the end, I just think this is a massive just earthquake for everybody. (laughs) And I don't think anyone's going to come out of this unscathed. I think eventually, I don't know, maybe Gordo is going to get away with it. I don't think Simon will go to the cops. He's got no proof. He's got a guy in a mask filming his unconscious wife. There's no, like, evidence of him doing anything to her he didn't have a case yeah um didn't he have like where he lived though like he did his own research or something on gordo you think he's gonna go to gordo's house and just kill him oh no definitely like i don't think simon would do i think he would try to beat him up again i mean if someone did that to my husband like obviously not like (laughs) <laughs> I mean like I know. you know if I was in his shoes and stuff I think that would that would be so awful like I don't know if therapy would help <laughs> oh no and the, the the big question is do you tell Robin like do you show her that tape or do you destroy that tape because Simon's very much a selfish human being we know that from the get-go but is he that selfish? Like, is he going to show her the tape and say, like, that's not my kid? Or is he going to destroy it and just live life like that is his kid? Oh, God, dude. <laughs> <laughs> questions. There's so many questions with this movie. What would you do? Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Uh, um, I think they should know. Yeah, but that would shatter. That would shatter her. That would destroy her and the kid eventually. Yeah, especially since like she tried to have a baby before. I think that you know, I think that proves that it is Gordo's kid because they did try. They've been trying. I think Simon's impotent. Impotent. He can't have kids. Uh huh. I think that's why it took this time. But yeah. I don't. Uh, God damn, I, this is a, like a crazy decision to make. Like, I don't know. Either way, it's a horrible decision. <laughs> and uh, well, you are getting divorced if you're in his position. You're, you're going to get divorced. You're not going to see her probably. Um, it's a <laughs> man, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know either. <laughs> but are you going to be like, that's not my kid and just like, you know, never be a dad to that child? 
Yeah, because that's awful too. <laughs> yeah. Or are you going to step up and be like, I don't know what happened, but that's that's my boy. <laughs> like, I don't know. It's, it's a nightmare. I hope I never have to make a choice between that because that would be just, I'd never get over that. That would destroy my entire life. And that's the whole plan. That's the whole point. God. <laughs> Oof. Yeah, this movie, it really does resonate on like an emotional level of like, what would I do? And there's really no way to make that decision unless you like, until you're faced with it. Cause honestly, I got nothing. <laughs> yeah. Fresh out. <laughs> My Lord. <laughs> so here are some film guys and facts for the gift. Number one, the original title of this movie was weirdo. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Weirdo Gordo, the weirdo. But executives changed it because they could sell it better with strategic marketing if they called it the gift. I don't know. Maybe weirdo is offensive to all those weirdos out there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Number two, when Rebecca Hall's character is in the hospital, she stays in room 237, a reference to the haunted room from The Shining. So cool. That is really cool. Oh, there's so many little details. I do have to say there was another detail in this movie. Um, did you notice, like, remember when um, they were at his house or his fake house and he said, would you like, you know, water, wine, Gatorade? And then he says Gatorade and you're like, what? Gatorade? But then you notice that she drinks Gatorade at her house, like, <laughs> which is so weird. I didn't notice that actually. That's a great throwback. I, yeah, the connections are great. That's awesome. <laughs> that just shows that he's been watching her. Yeah. Oof, creepy. Number three, and this is very interesting. The alternate ending reveals that Gordo did not rape Robin. Instead, Gordo allows Simon to believe that he did, thus ruining his life the same way Simon ruined his. So Gordo didn't do it. He just wanted Simon to think he did it. What do you think of that ending? I feel like that would have been just as good. I think they they could have done either of those endings. Yeah, but there's no way to show that in the movie without ruining the punch. Because hmm. the way we would have had to find that out is like Simon, you know, and Robin agree to like a test and they would have just found out that it is Simon's kid. And that would have been kind of underwhelming, I think. But hmm. leaving it, unknown again has you constantly thinking about it like was it wasn't it i don't know maybe but in the alternate ending nope he didn't do it which actually makes gordo in a weird way the hero of the movie (laughs) if he didn't do it i like his character a lot more and i understand the revenge side of it if he did do it he's a goddamn monster (laughs) yeah i think i'm really glad that ending is a no he didn't (laughs) because i was i was actually rooting for him (laughs) so it's a refresher it is so weird how this like simon is so unlikable that you are literally rooting for the crazy person (laughs) (laughs) man when he shoved him to the ground i was like so angry i wanted to shove him to the ground (laughs) and then he kicked his boxes and his face gordo's face he looks so innocent like a little puppy i wanted to help him (laughs) 
Uh, did you jump when, so when, um, when Simon gets the, the last box that has the tapes and he puts in the audio of him mocking Gordo at the, at the house. And then all of a sudden the music from apocalypse now kicks in and it's like, it, can, it fills the whole house. I jumped. <laughs> Actually, no, if my TV was louder, yes. <laughs> I was watching it pretty loud. I think sound can definitely make a difference. If it's loud, it has more of an effect. So I think from now on, I'm going to watch movies with the audio a lot louder because if it is louder, you get some small audio details. Like I was watching this with subtitles and it said there was like some music playing in the background. I was like, I can't hear that at all. So yeah, next time I'm going <laughs> to watch it louder. I watch everything with subtitles for two reasons. One, I'm probably going to be eating chips. Two, <laughs> I don't like to miss anything. <laughs> yeah, I love, um, so yeah, I'm going to watch it. I always watch it with subtitles too, because um, I think like back in the day when I wasn't into movies, I didn't but now I want to get every single thing that they say because sometimes I don't know what they said. Yeah. So, yeah. It's gotten to the point where like if subtitles aren't available, I will seek out another source. Like it's, I don't, I almost like would rather not watch the movie than watch it without subtitles, which is a shame because some of the movies we've had to do on the podcast are like older stuff. That's really not that easy to find. And when you do find a DVD of it, it's like, an old school DVD that has like, doesn't even have a scene selection. So there's no way in hell that's going to have subtitles. But yeah. you got to bite the bullet sometime. Um, I was going to ask, do you think that theater should show subtitles? They do some places. You can get open caption uh, screenings. I've been to a couple. Ooh. Weird. <laughs> but yeah, I think the bigger the screen, the louder and subtitles and you've got a good watch. Mm-hmm. Um, I give The Gift an eight. It's a tense psychological thriller. Deserves a lot more attention, I think. Underrated as hell and truly creepy at times. I'm going to give it, uh, so originally I was struggling between a seven and an eight. But now that we talked about it, I like it even more. So I'm going to give it an eight. That does happen. That does happen. It's funny. Talking a movie through can sometimes push it over the line. That happened when Austin and I did the Blair Witch Project. He was kind of, I had seen that movie like twice beforehand and I thought, this is shit. I watched it the third time alone at night in my apartment and I was like, this is one of the scariest movies I've ever seen. (laughs) (laughs) And he didn't like it, but the more we talked about it, the more he was like, you know what? It's pretty good. So yeah, the discussion's an essential part of rating a movie, I think. Mm -hmm. So to close out the show, I thought we'd talk a bit about Joel Edgerton and the movie that I think is his best performance, 2011's Warrior. Uh, for those of you who haven't seen this, it's a MMA film from 2011 starring Joel Edgerton, Tom Hardy, Nick Nolte. And it's about two brothers estranged, been through some shit. And they both enter this MMA competition to win like a million bucks or something. And it's crazy. And it's so emotional. And it's very well done. And the fights are crazy. <laughs> and uh, what did you think of Warrior? amazing i like i'm not into those movies but i think this movie is gonna make me into them (laughs) um and then honestly um 
like Creed is one of those movies, right? Like yeah, it's a boxing. Yeah. Okay, yeah, I've seen Creed, and I really like that too. So I think I should just not judge it before I go into it. And you know, I was like, I was surprised. I was looking at how long the movie was going to be, and I was like, whoa, two hours? Okay, it's got it's probably got some good stuff in it. I mean, if it's that long. <laughs> And it didn't disappoint me. Um, all the background, like, ugh, just like all the background about the characters and the family situation. Um, and then, oh God, the ending. I was so happy that they hugged and like, oh. they, their, you know, their relationship has a lot of growing to do still, but I think that was like a good opportunity for them to start growing their relationship. That the ending when they're when he's got I don't remember Joel Edgerton's character's name, but when he's got Tommy pinned and he's just like, It's okay, Tommy, it's okay. I cry every single time. <laughs> that is such an emotional scene. <laughs> yeah. I was I'm gonna say it, I was confused why Tommy wanted to win so bad. I think it was just because of his his need to to try to fulfill his goal of I'm I'm slightly confused why he wanted to do that fight in the first place too is it just because of his emotions about his mom or something Tommy uh as it's been a while since I saw this but I I'm pretty sure so Tommy was a soldier who went AWOL after uh his good friend was killed and he made uh he went to see the um his his friend's wi- uh, widow and he was trying to win the money for her Oh, okay. So is it because her husband died? Yeah. And he feels guilty about that. And he wants her to have a a good life. And uh, the brother, Joel Edgerton, is trying to win it to pay his mortgage. We should talk about that movie. (laughs) Warrior. Yeah, that's a that'll go on the list at some point. That's a great movie. That'll probably be an Oscar Sunday episode, more than likely. Because it's got that one nomination for Nick Nolte. But uh I, Joel Edgerton being a what was he a physics teacher or a math teacher physics and, yeah physics and as much as I do love the scene where he takes out like the Russian champion that would never happen <laughs> yeah no no his ass would have been down for the count in round one that guy was huge yeah <laughs> was his name like Cobra or Koba one of those yeah Koba. He, it was cool to see him take Koba down but no. <laughs> That's a good movie. Yeah. Definitely uh check out Warrior. Uh and Joel Edgerton, another role I'd like to bring up. I know I don't I know you haven't seen this movie, but I want to encourage the audience to check this out. Is uh 2015's Black Mass. It's a uh biopic of legendary psycho gangster James Whitey Bulger, played by Johnny Depp. And Joel Edgerton plays the FBI agent who basically let this guy take over Boston in exchange for ratting on Italian mobsters. And this is a true story. This guy owned Boston for a long time with federal authority to do whatever the hell he wanted. And once people, like once the other FBI agents found out about this, that shit got shut down immediately. But the fact that that happened is crazy. And Joel Edgerton is so good in that. He's such a slimy prick. He's Simon in that basically. (laughs) And it's got a great cast, uh, the true story of Whitey Bulger is bonkers. They, he 
he was on the FBI's 10 most wanted list for decades. They finally found him in like 2015 and then he was beaten to death in prison. <laughs> so wild story, but uh, another great Joel Edgerton role. And um, I really want to see boy erased the movie he wrote and directed after the gift. I've heard it's just really, really sad. Uh, Austin loved it to film about a young boy, a teenager who uh, grows up in a very religious household and then finds out that he's gay and his family make him go to gay conversion therapy and try to force the gay out of him. And apparently it's very emotional, very devastating. Joel Edgerton plays the guy who runs the gay conversion camp. So that sounds hysterical. Yeah. I would love to watch that one. Um, Is it a drama? Oh yes, very much. Dude, I love dramas and I love movies that try to make me cry. (laughs) It's, uh, It's tough, but it does happen. And I do love when, like for me, the, the biggest thing, I think you you'd mentioned this earlier, the biggest thing a movie can do is elicit an emotional response. And that's the ultimate emotional response is literally making you cry. So when a movie can do that, it immediately becomes amazing in my book. <laughs> That'll be good. I haven't seen Schindler's List yet either because I know that's going to just destroy me. <laughs> oh, yeah, me neither. <laughs> I wish we could watch these like together in person because <laughs> then we could see our initial reactions and then that would be entertaining too yeah absolutely well you know next year can't talk about that yet never mind Zip. we don't have uh <laughs> not yet Just waiting on a certain date to announce that one almost got me didn't you <laughs> that was close uh, <laughs> so this was awesome uh Next week, we're going sci-fi with a 90s cult classic that makes far more sense than you'd think. In the distant future, evil is coming to destroy Earth forever, and only an ancient ritual with a perfect being can stop it. Enter a cab driver, a weapons manufacturer, a priest, a talk show host, and the perfect being. Their lives intersect as darkness descends on the world in 1997's The Fifth Element. Bruce Willis, Gary Oldman, Mila Jovovich, Ian Holm, and Chris Tucker. Can't wait for this gem. Until then, treat people the way you'd want to be treated. And if you are a bully, apologies can go a long way. Otherwise, you may just receive a gift of your own. Once again, I'd like to welcome Julie to the team. She'll be popping up here and there randomly, but Austin will be back next week for the fifth element. Uh, Thank you for joining me today. This has been awesome. I really enjoyed talking about this movie. Um, I'm looking forward to... Some more i hope we get to cover some sci-fi because that's my favorite <laughs> hell yeah uh catch beauty and the beast on oscar sunday and i'll see you next wednesday mm-hmm.